Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Planet Fitness fourth quarter earnings conference call. My name is Grant and I'll be the moderator for today's call. If you have any questions for the question for the Q and A questions, please press star flow by one on the telephone keypad now. I will now pass the floor over to Stacy Carolina to begin. Stacy, please go ahead. Thank you, operator, and good morning everyone. Speaking on today's call will be Planet Fitness Chief Executive Officer Chris Rondo and Chief Financial Officer Tom Fitzgerald. Also joining us is Edward Hines, President and Chief Operating Officer. They will all be available for questions during the Q&A session following the prepared remarks. Today's call is being webcast live and recorded for replay. Before I turn the call over to Chris, I'd like to remind everyone that the language and forward-looking statements included in our earnings release also applies to our comments made during the call. Our release can be found on our website, investor.planetfitness.com, along with any reconciliation of non-GAAP financial measures mentioned on the call with their corresponding GAAP measures. Now I'll turn the call over to Chris. Thank you, Stacy, and thank you, everyone, for joining us for the Planet Fitness Q4 earnings call. I'm proud of how we've continued to prove our system's resiliency, strength of our model, our differentiated offering, and the passion of our franchisees, all of which positions us to continue to succeed in an environment of increasing consumer prioritization of health and wellness. Closing on 2022, we were very pleased with our record membership growth in the fourth quarter, which created great momentum coming into Q1 of this year. Let me start with the two primary drivers behind this record growth. First, we had our new agency structure in place for the entire quarter, with one agency handling our national advertising and two agencies partnering with our franchisees on a local level. The fourth quarter was the first time we had access to the ability to leverage our national and local media as we begin to optimize our marketing based on analytical findings. An example of this is our newly implemented post-national sale meeting with all three agencies to analyze results by region and franchise group to share best practices across our system. Importantly, our franchisees are pleased with the level of service they're getting from their agency partners, and they're confident with how our marketing investments are being executed at both national and local levels. Second, we continue to benefit from the increasing commitment to and interest in overall wellness coming out of the pandemic. Our members who have risen to the gym continue to visit more frequently, which we believe is a sign that they are more dedicated to working out. We had a successful promotion in November where you received a free Halo, Amazon's fitness and health tracker. If you joined or upgraded to a black card membership, it also required a one-year commitment, which should be a tailwind to our average tenure. Additionally, it was our most successful upgrade promotion to date, with members trading up from our $10 classic membership as well as from our lower price black card memberships to the new $24.99 black card price to get the halo. We're working on an upcoming similar promotion and continue to explore possibilities to work with other well-known brands who are in adjacent categories to the fitness industry. We believe that we are an attractive brand partner given our size and scale and the diversity of our approximately 17 million members across gender, age, incomes, and other attributes. We ended the year with a national promotion letting consumers know that it wasn't too late to join a gym in 2022 for those who made a New Year's resolution. It drove great momentum at the end of the year as we head into the first quarter, during which we typically get 60% of our full year net membership gains pre-pandemic. Now to 2022 results. We ended the year with approximately 17 million members as our brand appeal continued to attract many first-time gym goers 
or people looking to get off the couch and restart their wellness journey with our affordable, approachable, non-intimidating fitness environment. We are thrilled to have increased our membership by 1.8 million last year, despite softer membership growth in the first quarter due in part to Omicron. Members did approximately 470 million workouts in our gyms in 2022, up more than 20% over last year. And nearly 40% of our members use our gyms in a 30-day period in 2022, up from mid-30% in 2021. Cancellation rates were also slightly lower compared to pre-COVID. We also grew our store base to 2,410 locations, with the addition of 158 new stores, including 58 new stores in Q4, against the backdrop of an industry that is struggling to grow coming out of the pandemic. We upgraded and enhanced our digital ecosystem with our recently relaunched PF app. We also added more perks, providing value to our members outside the four walls of the gym, even when they couldn't make it to the club. In 2022, we offered discounts from brands such as Crocs, Grubhub, and Shell. In fact, recent data showed that 25% of our members who engaged with our Perks platform hadn't visited the club in over three months. During 2022, our appeal with younger generations continues to grow. More than 9% of all Gen Zs over the age of 15 in the U.S. are members of Planet Fitness, with Gen Zs representing 25% of our total membership. We ended the year with all age generations nearly back to or above pre-pandemic penetration levels. One of the highlights of the year was our successful high school summer pass program. We ended 2022 with approximately 400,000 teen participants and their parents and guardians had joined as paying members for a conversion rate of nearly 7%. We continue to significantly outpace the 2019 conversion rate the last time we ran this similar program. And we had a much bigger base, more than three and a half times the participation we had in 2019. We believe that high school summer pass is so important as we're helping teens establish healthy habits and we're building brand loyalty with them. In New Hampshire, we've run this program for three years as it was a test market before the 2019 program. Today, 11% of all teens in the state of New Hampshire are now members of Planet Fitness compared to 4% of all teens nationally. We, we look forward to bringing the program back in 2023. Now to the future. We, along with our franchisees, are very bullish on our growth prospects. We are pleased with the recovery coming out of the pandemic. We ended 2022 with 2.6 million members, more than we had at the end of 2019, and we've opened 420 net new stores during that same period. We are more than halfway through the first quarter of 2023, and so far is the first time in four years that Q1 has not been interrupted by COVID. For the eighth year in a row, we were the presenting sponsor for the Times Square New Year's Eve event, which was back to high energy and a celebratory atmosphere. This kicked off our Big Fitness Energy campaign, and the campaign addresses the post-workout positive feeling, which we feature in our low-E ads that have generated great consumer buzz. Throughout 2022, we met with our top franchise groups, and they are very encouraged by the recovery of their store portfolios with each quarter of positive membership growth. Their top lines are recovering even more quickly, aided by the black card price increase last year in the recent annual fee increase from $39 annually to $49. We were recently recognized by Entrepreneur Magazine with placement as 28 overall on its Franchise 500 list and number one in the fitness category. Along with brand strength and growth metrics, a primary consideration for the recognition is the relationship with our franchisees. We believe our historically strong relationship was further strengthened by working so closely together during the pandemic. It showed in that we didn't have one permanent store closure as a result of COVID. 
One year ago, we acquired Sunshine Fitness and doubled our corporate store portfolio to approximately 10% ownership of the system, a level that we think is appropriate as it allows us to maintain the asset-like nature of our business model. Importantly, we now have a dedicated team leading our corporate stores that is focused on driving membership growth in black card percent. We began to see the positive impact in our results in the second half of 2022, when the corporate store same-store sales outpaced franchise same-store sales. A few weeks ago, we welcomed Edward Himes to our leadership team as our new president and chief operating officer. He's leading our primary business segments, U.S. and international franchise businesses, corporate stores, and equipment sales. He is also overseeing our technology and legal functions. We believe Edward's skill set and franchise leadership will be instrumental in helping to accelerate our growth through existing and new geographies. One of his first tasks is to build a team to lead internationally. Once that team is in place, we believe that we will increase our pace of expansion internationally. For 30 years, it's been our mission to make fitness accessible and affordable for all. And today, more than 6% of all Americans over the age of 15 are Planet Fitness members. But we're not stopping there. We believe we can double our membership given our historic ability to do so and the increasing penetration of this experience with each successive generation. We also believe that the 4,000-plus store opportunity in the U.S. is the floor, not the ceiling, given the significant industry consolidation caused by the pandemic. We'll be reevaluating this target with a third party this year. We believe our purpose of enhancing people's lives and creating a healthier world sets us, our franchisees, and our shareholders up for long-term success. I'll now turn the call over to Tom. Thanks, Chris, and good morning, everyone. Overall, we feel good about where our business and our system is, particularly given what has happened over the last three years. We believe that we are operating from a position of solid financial and balance sheet strength as we continue to break down fitness barriers for first-timers and casual gym goers. Our asset-light, highly franchised business model drove consistent and reliable growth last year, and we met or exceeded our financial targets. Notably, in 2022, we accomplished four things that I want to call out. First, we completed the acquisition of one of our largest and best-performing franchisees. Second, we closed a very successful refinancing and upsizing of our debt in an oversubscribed deal that resulted in a lower overall weighted average interest rate for our total fixed-rate debt. Third, we repurchased 1.5 million shares at an average price of approximately $62 per share for a total spend of approximately $94 million. And fourth, our board of directors approved a new $500 million share repurchase authorization that replaces the existing one from 2019. Now I will cover our Q4 financial results and then we'll address our operational and financial outlook for 2023. All of my comments regarding our fourth quarter performance will be comparing fourth quarter of 2022 to Q4 of 2021. We opened 58 new stores during the quarter, bringing our full year total new store openings to 158, as Chris noted earlier. We had positive same-store sales growth of 9.0% in the fourth quarter. Franchisee same-store sales grew 8.8%, and our corporate same-store sales increased 11.0%. As a reminder, same-store sales for the Sunshine Fitness franchise stores that we acquired in Q1 of 22 will not be reflected in our corporate-owned same-store sales until we report first quarter results, 
but they will continue to be reflected in system-wide same-store sales consistent with how we've treated prior acquisitions. Approximately 75% of our Q4 comp increase was driven by net member growth, with the balance being rate growth. Black card penetration was 62.5%, down slightly from 62.6%. As a reminder, the black card price increase that we took in May was for new joints only, so that should slowly begin to drive up average monthly dues over time. For the fourth quarter, total revenue was $281.3 million compared to $183.6 million. The increase was driven by revenue growth across all three segments. The 10% increase in franchise segment revenue was primarily due to an increase in royalties from same-store sales growth in new stores, as well as higher equipment placement and national ad fund revenue. Partially offsetting the increase was a decrease of approximately $2.6 million as a result of the stores acquired in the Sunshine Fitness transaction moving from the franchise segment to the corporate-owned segment. For the fourth quarter, the average royalty rate was 6.5%, which was a six-basis point increase to the prior year period. The 123.9% increase in revenue in the corporate-owned store segment was primarily driven by the Sunshine Fitness transaction, as well as same-store sales growth and new store openings. Equipment segment revenue increased 56.7% driven by higher equipment sales to existing and new franchisee-owned stores. For the quarter, replacement equipment accounted for approximately 60% of total equipment revenue. We completed 66 new store placements in Q4 and 153 new store placements for the year. Now, our new store placements in franchise location is one less than we pre-reported in early January. Since that time, one store that received the equipment in late December will not open as a new store due to an unresolved landlord dispute. We regret this unforeseen circumstance that resulted in a slight variance to what we previously reported. Our cost of revenue, which primarily relates to the cost of equipment sales to franchise e-owned stores, amounted to $73.8 million compared to $47.4 million. Store operations expense, which relate to our corporate-owned store segment, increased to $57.6 million from $28.6 million, primarily due to the additional stores from the Sunshine acquisition. SG&A for the quarter was $28.7 million compared to $27.3 million. Payroll costs primarily drove this increase with the addition of the Sunshine Fitness Team, as well as increased travel expenses. National advertising fund expense was $15.7 million compared to $17.6 million. We were rolling over the production costs associated with our Super Bowl ad last year, which drove the decrease. Net income was $36.3 million. Adjusted net income was $47.3 million. And adjusted net income for diluted share was $0.53. Cents. A reconciliation of adjusted net income to gap net income can be found in the earnings release. Adjusted EBITDA was $106.1 million, and adjusted EBITDA margin was 37.7%, compared to $62.2 million with adjusted EBITDA margin of 33.9%. A reconciliation of adjusted EBITDA to gap net income can also be found in the earnings release. As a reminder, as of the third quarter, we are no longer excluding pre-opening costs from our adjusted EBITDA. In the reconciliation, you'll find the prior year period restated reflecting this change. By segment, franchise-adjusted EBITDA was $57.5 million, 
and adjusted EBITDA margin was 66.7%. Corporate store adjusted EBITDA was 38.9 million, and adjusted EBITDA margin was 38.8%. Equipment adjusted EBITDA was 24.4 million, and adjusted EBITDA margin was 25.9%. Now turning to the balance sheet. As of December 31st, 2022, we had total cash and cash equivalents of 472.5 million compared to 603.9 million on December 31st, 2021, which included 62.7 million and 58 million of restricted cash respectively in each period. Total long-term debt excluding deferred financing costs was 2.0 billion as of December 31st, 2022 consisting of our four tranches of fixed-rate securitized debt that carries a blended interest rate of approximately 4.0%. Now to our 2023 outlook. Our view for this year assumes there is no material resurgence of COVID that causes member disruptions, whether via shutdowns or more stringent mandates that result in a significant change in membership behaviors or any new significant supply chain disruptions. First on store growth, as I said at our investor day in November, we expect to average 200 new stores per year over the next three years. However, our 2023 new store openings will be below that as we still face some headwinds, both of which have been factored into our 2023 outlook. First, HVAC availability and other supply chain issues continue to be a challenge for both corporate and franchise locations. Second, we've recently agreed to terms with one of our larger franchisees to defer the majority of their development obligations in the near term and lift their exclusivity from certain markets. This will allow this franchisee to focus their cash flow on re-equips and remodels of their existing fleet and service their debt. While this group's stores are profitable, they had an aggressive capital structure in place that became tenuous when the pandemic hit. This will be a drag on placements in 2023, but we are hopeful it will be offset somewhat by other developers in the system stepping up to build new clubs in those markets. Therefore, we expect new equipment placements of approximately 160 we expect that re-equip sales will make up between mid to high 50% of total equipment segment revenue. As a reminder, these placements are only in franchise-owned locations. Our net new stores for the year will include corporate-owned stores. We also expect system-wide same-store sales growth to be in the high single-digit percentage range. Now, all of the following targets reflect growth over fiscal 2022 results. We expect our full-year revenue to grow in the 13 to 14% range. We expect our full-year adjusted EBITDA will grow in the 17 to 18% range. We expect our adjusted net income to increase in the 30 to 33% range. And we expect adjusted earnings per share to grow in the 33 to 36% range. We also expect shares outstanding to be approximately 89.5 million which is inclusive of the repurchase of a million shares over the course of the year. We repurchased approximately 300,000 shares in January. As we discussed at our investor day, we may 
also opportunistically buy more shares, keeping in mind that we want to ensure that the pandemic's impact is fully behind us. And we expect our net interest expense to be approximately $75 million. Lastly, we expect CapEx to be up in the mid-30% range, driven by additional stores in our corporate-owned portfolio, and DNA to be up in the mid-teens percent range, driven by the increase in CapEx and a full year of sunshine in our results. As Chris noted earlier, during our most recent franchise business reviews in 2022, there was a lot of enthusiasm across our system to build new stores. With each quarter of positive membership growth, franchisees are more encouraged by the recovery of their store portfolios. Additionally, last year's increase in the Black Card membership to $24.99 and the recent increase in annual fees to $49 will add approximately three to 400 basis points of margin to new stores as the vast majority of members in a new store will pay these higher rates. With our disruptive brand and discipline asset-like franchise model, we believe that we are capitalizing on the greater importance that people are putting on their overall health and wellness to drive store and membership growth, which we believe translates into among the best franchisee margins and ROIs. We believe this flywheel creates sustainable long-term value for our shareholders. And with that, I'll now turn it over to the operator for Q&A. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to ask a question, please press bar followed by one on the headphone keypad now. When preparing to ask your question, please ensure your phone is unmuted locally. We have a first question comes from Simon Sakel from BMO Capital Markets. Simon, your line is now open. Thanks. Hey, guys. Hope you're all doing well. A nice end to the year. Um, Tom, any more color just on that last point, the franchise you mentioned, um, maybe just how large they are, expected growth from them. Maybe have you seen others step into the areas with listed exclusivity or interest you've gotten around that, um, and maybe just your comfort around this being a one-off. And then just any thoughts on uh, broader SG&A dollars for next year as we think through some moving pieces within expenses? Thank you. And then, Chris, I'd love to, um, if you could elaborate at all on your comment about the, uh, the opportunity to double numbers. That's obviously an exciting comment in there in press release, so anything there would be helpful. Thanks, guys. Sure. Hey, Simeon. Um, so in terms of the franchise E that we're talking about, um, uh, you know, we're not disclosing who that is, which is our typical practice for, for any reason. Um, and, you know, we think that uh, it, it's, it's the right approach. We think there there may be some interest. We get we we're, we're at the beginning of the beginning in terms of um, uh, this process where their exclusivity uh, um, is no longer in place in, in a few of their markets, and uh, existing franchisees may want to take a bite at that. And also there there's quite a bit of interest from um, former fran- a, a, a few former franchisees who are out of the system completely and who uh, miss it, frankly, and, and want to get back in somehow, some way. And this, you know, maybe their only entree to doing that on a smaller scale compared to maybe what they did previously. So, you know, we've tried to factor all of that um, into our outlook uh, for the year on placements, um, but that's, that's the long and the short of, of that. And, um, you know, as you know, we collect fin- uh, financial information from our franchisees um, a couple times a year, uh, and, and also have discussions with our top franchisees. And, um, you know, based on all of that, we, we believe this is uh, an isolated situation. Um, 
just based on, on a lot of circumstances that we're not going to get into. But um, in terms of SG&A, uh, you know, I think our outlook, um, while, while we're not guiding to it, is, is very consistent with what we talked about at Investor Day, uh, where we said over the three years we expect very slight leverage in SG&A. You know, we still have investments we want to make. We want to we're in the process of building out an international team to, to, to drive uh, accelerated growth there. Uh, we're also making um, uh, additional investments in IT, uh, so in, in, and as well as the team. So, you know, we think this is very much a growth business. We want to support the growth in a prudent way, uh, and 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 are but but are not looking for you know large basis point uh, leverage from SG&A. It's more very very slight leverage. Um, so then, Chris, over to you on that. Sure, yes. That, thanks, I mean, Yeah, I think when you look at our, our historical track records from, you know, the IPO, we had 1,000 locations at the IPO and about 7 million members, and here we are eight years later, um, and arguably, you know, three years of, eight, of the eight were, were COVID, right? So, you know, if that wasn't happening, it would probably be faster, but here we are now with 17 million members and 2,400 locations. Um, and even if you go back before the IPO, we partnered with TSG, the private equity company, before uh, in a in public. We had about 600 stores in 2012, about 4 million members. So you can just see the cadence of our growth. Um, and leading into uh, leading into COVID, we had 53 straight quarters of positive comps, the vast majority of it being member growth. Um, and this this year, the same thing, 22, we had the full year, 11% same sort of sales. And again, vast majority is member growth. So there's nothing pointing in any other direction other than why wouldn't that happen again? Um, I'm very confident, especially with the Gen Z um, acceleration we've been talking about and how they're joining, the rate of, the, uh, of their of their signups have been great. The high school summer patch tailwinds as well, helping that out. And then, you know, right behind them is Gen Alpha, which will come into the mix in about another four or five years. So there's no reason why we can't see us doubling uh, once again. Great. Thanks a lot, guys. Best of luck for the rest of the year. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Simon. With our next question comes from Marking Cole from Marking Cole Max from Colwyn. Marking Cole, your line is now open. Hey, good morning, guys. This is Bradley on for Max this morning. Uh, great results this quarter. First, I'd love if you could just discuss quickly any uh, you know quarter to date learnings uh, with the advertising rolling into January, and then uh, perhaps any early results from uh, from January. Yeah, we're not sharing anything really from the current quarter, but um, I do believe the, the the large promotion we did at the end of December um, that expired on the 30th, and then we actually kicked off New Year's Eve um, with the January sale, but actually on the 31st, where I think it helps carry the momentum from the December sale. So um, we're we're pleased with um, we're pleased with how the momentum's um, playing out. Great, and then switching gears a little bit to Gen Z. Could you just uh, provide any more color on uh, perhaps Gen Z utilization, maybe churn compared to other cohorts, black card mix, just kind of any more details on what you're seeing with their uh, ramp up as they continue to join? Thanks, guys. Yeah, their retention is very similar, and their, their workout patterns are very similar. Crazy as it sounds, very similar to all the other generations. There's nothing really that stands out that's um, – that's uh, different, you know, and the average member is working out about six times a month, um, and that holds true really across all, all, all generations, believe it or not. And even the younger Gen Zs, which is, you know, the teenagers are, are still the same. We even saw that during 
during the high school summer past last summer is, as strange as it sounds, actually their workout patterns are very similar regardless of their age. Great. Thanks, Chris. Best of luck. Great. Thank you, Bradley. Thank you, Bradley. We have our next question comes from John Heimbeckel from Gutenheim Partners. John, your line is now open. Hey, guys. I want to start with um, Chris. How do you think the seasonality has changed versus 19, uh, you know, both in terms of, you know, fitness being more top of mind and high school pass being as important as it is, right? Do you think you're a little less reliant on the 1Q and, uh, you know, 3Q and particularly 4Q will be bigger? Uh, you know, and then also as part of that, right, if you think about high school pass, right, the 7% penetration, you would think that would build over time, uh, right? Um, I'm not sure how it would build, uh, you know, as you get people, you know, coming in a second, third summer. How do you think about that? Yeah, I think, um, you know, you probably recall we were talking about the, the you know, for, for a few years, even before COVID, that, you know, the summers weren't quite the drop-off they were, you know, year many years ago, right, and that, it wasn't just first quarter. You know, first quarter will will not always be the biggest one naturally, but but you know, you, you know, you go 10, 15 years ago, you know, summers were were very different than they are today, where we still today have some net member growth during the summer months, which typically 10, 10 15 years ago we didn't. So there's definitely a little less of that. Um, so I think the, I think the, you know, New Year's resolution thing is still there, but it's not quite about that as much as it's just about if it's your time to work out, it's your time to work out. Um, and I think you're right on high summer pass. You know, you've heard my opening remarks. I mean, in, in New Hampshire, we've, we've ran this three years and three years, um, where we have 11% of all high school age teens are members of Planet. Nationally, that's only 4%. So, you know, you continue. You, if you think about it, as we continue to roll this program out summer after summer after summer, um, you, you have to imagine that we continue to penetrate more as paying members of teens, and get more members, uh, more high schoolers to, to give it a shot again. You know, what's interesting too is. You know, this coming summer, you know, we did it in 2019, and by the time we relaunched it this past summer, you know, probably two-thirds of those teens were already out of high school by then. So there wasn't a lot of teens that could repeat the um, the free summer again. So it'll be interesting with the three and a half million teens that did it last year, you know, let's call it, you know, the, the, the 18, 19-year-olds are off to college, the backfilled with the new 14, 15 years olds, but there's going to be a big chunk of those, you know, the, the, the freshman, sophomore, and junior kids that are still – going to do it for the second time. They're going to speak to speak to their friends about joining them again, you know, so hopefully we'll even get more momentum this summer. And then uh, secondly, so on international, right, when will that team be in place? Uh, how many countries do you think you go into this year and, and maybe next year? And, and geographically, right, uh, will Asia be the focus and then, and then lastly, I assume that you've not been interested in MFAs, and I assume you're still not. Hey, John, thank, thanks for the question. This is actually uh, this is Edward, um, and I've actually jumped in a bit on the international side um, already. We're, we're currently, um, you know, definitely taking uh, inventory on opportunities to really accelerate uh, in, in that space um, and look at new, look to new uh, geographies. Um, it, you know, as we said in the past, though, I mean, we're not really going to change that strategy in terms of, of entering, you know, one to three markets uh, per year. Um, I don't see that changing. Uh, not really interested in, in kind of planting a, a flag just to, to do that. We really want to grow from a strong foundation um, and, you know, establish a, a real disciplined approach around that. But, 
just to you know let you know on that, you know, initial read on on Mexico and and uh, Australia, they've really performed well. Um, been really happy also with sales, and um, it, you know the the model um, is actually translating very very well into markets outside the the U.S. So. In the process of expanding that team, working with them now, and and you'll be hearing more about that uh, in the future. And John, okay, maybe thank just you. the last point there. Yeah. We, we yeah. still don't have interest in them. Yeah. Right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, John. We have our next question comes from Brian Harper from Morgan Stanley. Brian, your line is now open. Yeah. Thank you. Good morning, guys. Um, just on kind of unit openings, you know, when I think about this year and when I think about hopefully stepping up in 24 and 25 based on, on what you've said, how much of that do you think will come from, you know, some other franchisees filling in for this specific issue you called out? You know, how much of that is more just tied to, like, equipment availability and such? How much of that do you think will be international? I guess I'm trying to just kind of parse out, you know, what you think will kind of drive that step up in, in the subsequent years. Yeah, Brian, it's Tom. I'll, I'll uh, start that. So I think, you know, uh, we still feel very good about what we said at Investor Day, that over the three years, um, you know, worldwide, we, we, we feel very good about uh, being able to average 200-plus per year across the three years. And, and we said this year would have some headwinds, um, uh, so we didn't expect it to, uh, to, to be at that level uh, when we were all together in November. Um, you know, I think, the, and there are some headwinds. Costs are up. We talked about that. They're up about 20%. And typically, franchisees would be ahead of their development obligations before COVID. Uh, you know, not all of them, but but a, but a handful of them. And we talked about, you know, if you take the couple of years before COVID, roughly 15 to 20% of the new new units were built ahead of their obligations. Um, and now with the situation, you know, we've got franchisees. Um, if they're ahead of their obligations uh, as they sit here today with higher costs, and it seems like inflation's coming down, that they'll probably wait that out a little bit versus, you know, maintain their their um, their more aggressive posture. Some will some will go ahead and build. Obviously, there's, there's a lot of new units going in the ground, um, but but some may just take a bit of a wait and see approach. And um, I, you know, we've talked about and probably heard Chris say that. If, if it was clear that the costs were going to remain where they are, they'd probably just go ahead and pull the trigger because the returns are still great. And I think there's also still, you know, a fair amount of interest outside the system to come in because if you look at multi-unit world, you know, brands, we still believe writ large our, our concept, our model is far less impacted by inflation. You know, we don't have all the things that go with incremental growth. And you look at some of the some of the um, food concepts, you know, they may have low single-digit same-store sales, but they've got a lot of pricing and not a lot of, you know, uh, traffic growth. Our business is quite the opposite. We've got 75% member growth driving the same store sales. And, and the flow-through, there's no additional cost for every new member, so the flow-through is terrific. So when you look at the absolute and relative returns, the absolute and relative four-wall economics, you know, uh, we think there's still going to be a tremendous appetite within the system and those who want to get in the system to come in and, and grow the units, and, and the same both in the U.S. and, and, and abroad because the model works, um, uh, you know, in the countries that we've expanded to beyond the U.S. So we, we feel good about it. You know, there we factored in all the puts and takes into our outlook, but 
I think our model still stands as one of the best, if not the best, um, economic propositions in, in, um, in multi-unit uh, uh, opportunities. Okay, so, sounds good. And um, maybe just, uh, you know, I know you upgraded the app uh, recently. Any, anything you would say just, just about the new app? Has it kind of driven improved engagement? Has, I know you've, you have a lot of digital sign-ups, but did that continue to go up? Just, just any comments on that? Yeah, it's continued, it's continued to get more and more traction. There's no doubt that um, the digital signups are staying strong, even when now with with, um, with gyms open and people walking back in, they're still just joining on the app, and a lot of them or on the web, and they're joining um, well ahead of where they were um, pre-COVID. So it's not uh, it's not the old ways where they'd take a tour and touch and feel it and join. They're actually joining now, and they're coming in as a as a as a member off, off the shoot. Um, I think we just need to just. Um, uh, improve the, the, the flow through uh, of using the app and the ease of use, whether it's joining or it's simply using perks or referring a friend or or checking the crowd meter. So it's more of that type of stuff. Um, referrals continue to get traction. The perks continue to get traction. And as you heard in my opening remarks, we'll finally uh, be able to take the dead, uh, capture the data where we're finding that out of the perks redemptions, the ones that have, 25% um, of them haven't been into the club in three months or more, which you have you heard some of my from a lot, my last comments from previous calls? You know, the one thing that we're we're thinking and is and hoping is that um, you know the biggest reason for cancellation is just non-use. I haven't used the club in three months. I haven't used the club in six months, and I'm just going to cancel. So we can provide value outside the four walls, and even if it's not fitness related, like Crocs was a huge, a huge, um, a huge plus for us. They just did like a million dollars in Crocs in three months in the app. So um, in purchases, so it's. You know, if we can provide value, people will hold on to the membership just so they might have a chance to use it. Um, and we actually just tipped the tipping point that of, out of all the ones that use the perks and redeemed, the savings is just tipped $10. So, you know, again, if you're a $10 membership and you're buying stuff and all of a sudden you're saving a month's dues by, by, by your discounts, this is starting to, starting to add up. It's a little bit like the AAA model. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. We have our next question. It comes from Alex Perry from Bank of America. Alex, your line is now open. <clears throat> Hi, thanks for taking my question and congrats on a strong quarter. Um, just first, can you talk a little bit about how churn is trending versus pre-COVID, especially given members are using the club more, are you seeing customers that are more sticky? And then could you maybe just give us a little color on you know, the rest um, how if customers have been receptive to the annual fee increase that you guys implemented? Thanks. Sure. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, the, re the retention is um, just slightly better than pre-COVID, so, um, so it's a little bit more stickiness now. Um, hard to really say exactly what's caused it. I think it's probably just maybe just more or less people paying attention to fitness more now and health than they were pre-COVID. is probably driving a lot of that, which I think is also why they're probably working out more than they were pre-COVID, so that's 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 a good trend. Um, hopefully that continues. Um, what was the other on the annual fee? On the annual fee, yeah, we tested that in about 400, 500 clubs pre-COVID. Uh, early earlier last year, uh, saw no change in in retention or uh, acquisition, um, which is why we decided to roll it out uh, middle of December. So um, so it was great to see that uh, see that um, that result for sure. And that again to build to, to Tom's point. It certainly helps um, helps probability of the new stores, well, all stores as they convert over, because again, it's new members going forward. But 
on a new build that is costing you know a couple hundred thousand more this just makes up for it pretty quickly that's really helpful and then just my second question um, maybe give us a little more color on the how the halo promotion impacted member growth and, and black card penetration and you mentioned you know a, maybe a similar upcoming promotion um, to just maybe give us some more color there and you know how you're thinking about using utilizing these promotions to drive member growth this year yeah yeah it was a, it was a good promotion and um, you know I think the, the tricky thing with um, with our pricing is you know, once we you typically during a normal non-promo, you might have an enrollment fee, where have you, right? And during a promo, we'll drop the enrollment fee. Um, but other than that, there's no there's not many other places to go unless you pay somebody to join, right? So it's it's basically no enrollment fee in nineteen and twenty four ninety nine or no enrollment fee or a dollar down and, and ten bucks a month. But having a giveaway like this uh, definitely creates a little bit, well, definitely more buzz, but also a little bit more. Um, incentive to want to join as opposed to just saving the enrollment fee. So you're you're getting a you're getting two two different things. You're getting enrollment fee and a, a free you know seventy dollar halo um, for joining, which was great. And and the promo for new joins was good, but it was really interesting. And we've never seen this um, with anything we've tried in the past. Is that people that were upgrading their current membership dues to the new twenty four ninety nine to get the halo. So ten dollar memberships were doing it. Even even old black card members that were paying nineteen ninety nine for for many many years, we're we're upgrading to the 2499 just for the Halo and signing a new 12 month contract, which was really really something to see. So um, we've never really been able to influence upgrades. You've probably heard us talking about in the past where you know, people come in, they join as a black card or they join as a white card, and that's pretty it, much it. We very very seldom have um, any volume of people upgrading once they've already committed to join. So it's interesting to see us finding something or a tool that could get old members to to pay a higher price in the future. Perfect. That's really helpful. Best of luck going forward. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Alex. We have our next question comes from Jonathan Cold from Beard. Jonathan, your line is now open. Yeah, thank you. Good morning. Uh, I want to ask about the membership trends, how you're thinking about the year. You know, if you look at 20, <clears throat> excuse me, 2022, you added 1.8 million members for the year, 1 million in Q1 of 22. That's despite uh, Omicron and then also not having your marketing in place for the full year. So just thinking through 23, is there any reason that you wouldn't exceed those targets? And then, Tom, could you just comment on the NAF expectations? Would you expect the revenue to more closely track the expense for the year? Yeah, hey, John. Uh, I'll start that in um, in in terms of membership, as you know, we don't guide on membership, um, but I think, you know, based on what uh, – and, and we also stopped kind of our pandemic uh, practice of talking about the current month when we're doing the earnings calls. We've sort of reverted back to our pre-pandemic, but I think, as Chris said, you know, we felt really good about the record growth uh, that we saw in Q4, the momentum coming into New Year's Eve and, and, and carrying forward. So um, more to come on that in on the next call. In terms of NAF, um, yeah, we expect, uh, again, assuming there's no re resurgence or something that goes haywire here, but we expect collections to equal um, our spend here this year. And, and actually, NAF in 22 was slightly favorable than what we had been projecting. So, um, but but we thought that was the, those were the right investments to make from you know across the last three years. But uh, as I said, expect uh, the spend to equal collections going forward. Yeah, great. And then just one follow-up. 
thinking about the, the margin benefit you outlined for new units from the pricing, um, assuming that also benefits all stores, you know, in 2023 and 2024 as the pricing rolls in over time. Uh, just how are you thinking about the right royalty rates the next few years, given the, the margin benefits and the membership recovery that you're seeing? Sure, Josh, I guess, Chris. Um, yeah, I think, you know, as I've, as I've said in the past, I, you know, I, I think if COVID never happened and our track record of same source sales was continuing to to just, you know, layer on top of it, of it with 53 straight quarters of positive comps, most of it member growth. And, and as you know, the flow through is about 84 cents to the bottom line because once adding an extra couple hundred members doesn't change, you know, the cost of running that store. If that never happened, we probably already would have, you know. Um, I think as we still are coming back from um, getting close back to with their pre-pandemic margins and, and profitability, um, today about about uh, we're up to I think we reported last time about 30% of our clubs were um, at or above pre-COVID membership, and now we're at about 43%. So we're going the right direction, um, but the pricing is getting ahead of that, you know. So um, so as that as they recover, then it's probably a topic of conversation, not just yet, but again. You know, in the upcoming year or two, I think it's something that we'll probably have to consider. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. Thanks, John. Thank you, John. We have our next question comes from Joe Altobello from Raymond James. Joe, your line is now open. Thanks. Hey, guys. Good morning. Um, I guess the first question on the placement guidance, what's sort of baked in in terms of the HVAC supply situation, are you guys assuming it gets better by mid-year, and, and, and will the cadence of placements be similar to what we saw uh, in 2022? Yeah, hey Joe, it's Tom. Um, so what we have factored in what we think is the is, is our best thinking on HVAC. Um, we still are not hearing anything um, concrete from the large manufacturers we deal with. Um, uh, in terms of when things get back to normal, you know, or, or anything close to what we experienced before in terms of lead times. Um, we have, you know, worked to try to secure more production for us. Um, so we, but, but you know, I think overall we're, we're assuming it's more of the same. And I think our, our cadence in terms of the quarterly uh, quarterly openings is not dissimilar to what we've had historically. Got it. And maybe just to follow up on that, uh, in terms of black card penetration, you mentioned it was down slightly. What's been the historical experience when you do raise black card pricing? Does it typically take a step back and then maybe six to 12 months later start to grow again? Yeah, historically, yes. It would, it would come back slightly and then, you know, a year later you wouldn't even know it, it happened and it's getting traction again. We see this pullback. We tested this in a few hundred stores with no pullback. This one, this pullback is really mostly driven from two things. One is the high school summer pass and the teens that are joining, um, they generally join not black card, which is putting pressure on it, as well as such a strong um, record fourth quarter growth, which is all promotional driven, definitely um, pushes it down as well. Although one was a black card, but the, um, the, the December sale was a white card. So, you know, member growth is great, but it definitely puts a little bit of pressure on that. But um but that's the only reason I think it wasn't necessarily the pricing that, that drove it down. It was more just the volume of members. Got it. Okay. Thanks, guys. Welcome. Thanks. Thank you, Joe. 
We have our next question comes from Rahul Cole from JP Morgan. Rahul, your line is now open. Hi guys, uh, thanks for taking my question. Uh, Ed, this is more directly uh, directed towards you. Um, it's good seeing you at ICR. G given you're like two months into the, or like just under two months into the role, and clearly you're wearing multiple hats, leading most of the segments out there. What do you see are your current priorities, or where do you want to focus in the near and medium term as you get more comfortable into the role, and where do you think you see the most opportunity? Yeah, thank, thanks for the question, and, and, and great, great to talk to you again. Um, I, I, look, I'm, I'm, you know, been in the role um, a little bit over 30 days now, right? And very happy that I've joined the Planet Fitness team. I mean, the, the business model, Chris, and the and the and the team put together is just it's an inc incredible and the more i had learned about it the, the more excited I, I got about it um you know i i i'm really excited about the future because you know although we're an industry leader of course you know I, I believe we're just getting kind of warmed up and that's one of my main priorities is in in the growth side and i mentioned uh, earlier you know taking inventory around what those opportunities are to really grow both domestically and internationally as, as well. So, as Chris explained, you know, I'm responsible for the primary business segments, and you know, including U.S. and, and international franchise businesses, the corporate stores and equipment sales, as well as technology and and legal functions as, as well. So, I've, I've really spent my first few weeks, um, you know, in listening mode and and engaging, you know, with as many stakeholders as possible, including franchisees, and that's that's really helped me to kind of take that inventory and. Uh, putting that plan together to really focus on 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 the growth space, which I'm really excited about. Thanks for that, uh, Tom. This is probably uh, better for you uh, in terms of thinking about uh, franchise margins. Uh, I mean, pre-COVID, we did like closer to I think mid 80s almost. Uh, like, how how should I think about like going forward? Uh, given all the changes to the systems within franchises, and then also uh, as we move towards like building more international stores over time, probably more more of a medium to longer term range. How do you see this as shaking out? Yeah, well, I think you're talking about for the franchise segment, and I think you know yep. where we see the margins today is 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 kind of where we think they'll be given um, you know the investments we're making in in the segment and the resourcing. Um, and I think to Chris's point, you know, over time as we see that, that there may be opportunities to raise the royalty rate, you know, that'll certainly help. But, um, you know, I think I think what you've seen here in the last little while is, uh, especially on an adjusted basis, is more indicative of, of where we see it going forward. Um, you know, once you adjust out the NAF, uh, the NAF discrepancy there. So if you if you equalize the NAF to be um, not uh, not an investment, but where collections and, and um, uh, spend equalize, then that's a more predictable margin going forward. That's the one big adjustment you have to make there, Raul. That's helpful, Tom. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Rahul. Our next question comes from Chris O'Cole from Steve Spoh. Chris, your line is now open. Great. Thanks. Good morning, guys. This is Patrick on for Chris. Um, I wanted to touch on the mix of company development for this year. I mean, you're obviously planning to increase CapEx spend, and that would seem to imply company store openings would accelerate relative to history. But I was hoping you could frame that out a little bit more as we just think through what uh, that additional investment could look like in terms of corporate store unit growth relative to maybe the pace you've held in the past. 
Yeah, hey, Patrick, it's Tom. Um, so I think, you know, we opened 14 uh, new corporate stores this year, um, and I think, uh, you, you know, you could – well, we don't typically guide on that. I think, you know, we expect to be in the same range, uh, maybe up a little bit from that for 23. And I think now with Jen, you know, we had um, – uh, we had some transition there, and I think now with Jen Simmons, uh, who ran strategy, you know, working with Chris for a number of years, now in the role and, um, you know, really focused on that growth, we are uh, we, we are very bullish on the on the opportunities that we've seen so far and want to enhance the pipeline to really crank that up. Um, you know, the margins that that we've talked about that were that were very attractive for uh, the territories that Sunshine operated mostly in the southeast. You know, we're seeing that come through uh, uh, on the new opportunities that we see. But also, as Chris alluded to, you know, with, with the uh, – uh, on previous calls, with the practices that uh, the marketing team and the, and the broader team that Sunshine had uh, get cascaded into our legacy markets, we're seeing accelerated growth. And, you know, for the first time, as you know, where um, those stores are leading the system versus they typically trail the system given they were a higher mix of more mature stores. So – you know, we think the, the, the opportunities are, are out there, uh, both in the legacy markets for new opportunities as well as the, the newly acquired territories. So it's a matter of um, uh, putting, the res putting additional resources, which we are, against, that, um, uh, against the development opportunities that we see. So we expect that number will likely be higher in the future. Great. That's helpful. And uh, that was actually a great segue into my second question, which is, you know, you guys had mentioned the the focus of the team a couple of times in terms of driving the corporate store, same store sales performance. So I was curious, you know, what are the things that are happening today that, that maybe weren't happening previously and what's really driving that result? And then, you know, on the margin side for the company stores, can you give us a sense of, you know, what percent of the corporate store portfolio has recaptured their pre-COVID membership levels, maybe relative to that overall system average? And, you know, how should we be thinking about the opportunity for corporate store margin performance in 23 to maybe fully recapture at some point in the year, you know, the 2019 margin levels, or you still see that being um, a slower build that maybe pushes out even into 2024? Thanks. Thanks. Hey Chris, this is Chris. I'll start and then I'll hand it over to Tom. The um, I think the a lot of the same source sales um, benefit I think we're seeing that is is really a, a much more disciplined approach um, in cadence to the marketing um, of the legacy stores that wasn't quite in place. And you may recall, like our our corporate stores um, didn't really have a dedicated team. They were tapping into our marketing team here, who also services the franchisees was tapping into the development team who was also working, you know, for the franchisees. So now they have their own development people, their own marketing people. I think it's just more disciplined approach, which is helping. And also some operational and, and I guess some gamification or competition amongst um, staff and different club locations to outperform, whether it's black card upgrades or or closing percentages or, or things like that. So I think it's just gotten the, the team more, um, I guess, jazzed about, you know, Servicing the customer and, and the joints coming through to, to get them to um, to choose better membership. So it's I think it's a little bit of that from an option, also a disciplined marketing approach. And I'll talk, answer the the margin question. Uh, yeah, Patrick. Um, you know, as, as you know, we don't guide on segment margins, but I think you know, maybe just to talk about it more generally, um, 
the, the corporate store portfolio isn't too far off from where the system is in terms of recovery to pre-COVID levels, and it's, it's a little bit different between the legacy markets and, and the sunshine markets. Um, given the legacy markets were hit harder during some of the mandates and temporary closures. But, um, you know, I think the way to think about it is if, if you're looking at the 2019 margin, that was for corporate stores, that was, those were all legacy stores. And now we're mixing in the sunshine stores, uh, which had more store growth and more ramping stores. So there's a bit of a, a nick on that. But overall, as you've heard us say, you know, at the time of the transaction when we, when we were talking about it, the mature stores that Sunshine had generally were um, uh, six to 700 basis points higher formal margin than uh, the mature market, or sorry, the mature uh, stores in our legacy market. So there's kind of an averaging up effect there. Uh, we don't want to really predict the timing of when, uh, when we cross, you know, that threshold, so to speak. But I think that mix impact will be important as well as the pricing uh, impacts both on the black card and the um, and the annual fees as more of those new members feather into the mix, you know, that will certainly boost the margin. But I think, you know, what, what we don't want to lose sight of either is, you know, we're predicting high single-digit same-store sales growth, 75, you know, uh, in Q4, like as, as it's played out historically, three-quarters of that growth is member growth, and we expect that to continue back to, you know, the opportunity over time to double membership. So it's very healthy growth. And, and the flow through is just incredible, which uh, on the member growth from the same store sales and even um, accelerated by the pricing actions we've taken. So I think good news ahead for corporate store margins as well as our franchise fees, obviously. Great. Thanks, guys. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We have our next question. It comes from Ryan Lantis from Jeffries. Ryan, your line is now open. Hi, yeah, thanks for taking my question. This is Ryan on for Randy this morning. Um, given the strong growth in Gen Z and millennial penetration, just curious if you could provide your thoughts around how consumers uh, shifting their focus towards strength training could impact performance and retention. Uh, and similarly, are you thinking about maybe reimagining, you know, the equipment proportions uh, at franchises? Yeah, it's a good question, and it's actually something we've already begun to do. Uh, we have seen um, ever since COVID and the uh, increase in our member base of Gen Zs and, and millennials continue to grow as they have been in the past, but um, Gen Zs now are our second largest uh, part of our member base, and it was uh, one of our, our smallest pre-COVID. So it's um, what we have witnessed is that there's less minutes spent on cardio to pre-COVID, and most of it says they're doing weight training and it's more functional stuff and, and that type of TRX, medicine ball stuff. So we have begun and we've worked with a couple of universities to um, see the uh, workout habits of, of college-age um, um, kids and then also um, what we've witnessed in our own stores and begun to fine-tune some of that. So it's a slight decrease in cardio and more um, gym space for functional training and some uh, kettlebell type stuff, things like that. So we already have begun to do that um, to adapt to, you know, the, the growing population of our clubs that are the younger. Great. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you, Ryan. We have our last question. It comes from Linda Borton-Wakeford from Davidson. Linda, your line is now open. 
Hi. Um, I was curious just about the comment you made about the increase in, I think it was opening costs um, now versus pre-COVID. I think you said 20% higher. Is that primarily equipment cost or, or something else? Or can you just give a little more color around like that number and, and what goes into that? Yeah, hey, Linda, it's Tom. Um, yeah, I think it's consistent with what we've talked about on prior calls and at Investor Day, that's that roughly 20%. And we did, uh, we also talked about we had passed along some price increases from our equipment vendors, you know, uh, low double-digit price increases, um, uh, you know, based on the inflation they were seeing and, and, and had not changed the price for, for a while. Uh, and we passed that along and maintained our our margin rate on that um so you, you know that's that's a part of the increase yeah and but i think what we're also seeing of course it depends on the market um there there was also inflationary pressure on some of the materials right the steel and the concrete and whatnot and that's ebbed and flowed depending on the on the um, commodity but i think also the the general contractor uh expenses again depending on the market and the tightness of of their labor and supply and demand has also caused an increase. So when you roll it all together, you know, that's been the 20% or so increase. What I was referring to earlier about uh, our model has less of an inflationary impact. You know, we're not serving food. We're not selling uh, apparel. We're not doing things that 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 have seen price increases. It's really the, the price increases that we've seen or the inflationary pressures has been in the cost and the wages, which are largely behind us. You know, they spiked quite a bit in 2021 uh, and, and part of 22, but we've seen that moderate. So it goes back to, you know, the margins and the returns compared to other concepts. It's, it's um, our, our model is just far less impacted by some of those things, but, but definitely the cost of construction is up about 20%. So hopefully that answers your question. Yes, thank you very much. Okay, thanks, Linda. Thank you, Linda. This marks the end of the Q&A session. So I will now pass the floor back to Chris Rondo, CEO of Penance Pen for closing remarks. Thank you, Lynn. Um, really, really pleased with our you know, strong wrap up for 2022 with a record fourth quarter. You know, it was great. I was actually at the Times Square event in New Year's mm -hmm. Eve and to see, see Times Square back to normal and, and to kick off our January sale and carry the momentum forward. Um, really excited too this year with the new you know, continue with the black card price um, at 2049 and the annual fee increase, which I think is really going to be beneficial and great to see the price elasticity that we have and continue to have. Um, and re-kicking re off ice from our past in a few months. So um, all good all good news and good trends ahead. So um, thanks for joining the call today and uh, look forward to speaking again. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's call. Thank you for joining. You may now disconnect your